Hello, everybody. Great to see you this morning and to worship together. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to continue this series in God's Word together about spiritual growth. So before we look at a few passages of Scripture, would you just join me in a brief word of prayer? Let's invite the Lord to guide us in our study. Dear God, we do just invite you to guide us in our study of your word this morning. We ask you to, through your Holy Spirit, use the words of Scripture to give us a fresh perspective on life, Lord, to renew our minds and help us to understand how to view the world, Lord, in such a way that we would live more for you, how to understand the way things really are, God. And we appreciate this opportunity just to have that perspective renewed, to remember what is true or to learn for some of us in certain aspects what is true, Lord, for the first time in some new part of our lives. And so we just ask that your words of Scripture would be clear to us and impact us and refresh us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I'm coughing, it's the vents for some reason. It's not because I'm sick or anything like that. But um, <clears throat> I got a text message from uh, one of my friends here at the church a while ago, and it was a photo of a house plant. And she said, Luke, um, tell me what to do to take care of this plant. She knew that I like plants. And this particular one that she sent me was clearly dying. It was like disease or something. And I said, I'm sorry, but I can't help you because that plant you just sent me a picture of, it's like indestructible. <clears throat> maybe, maybe you've come across those plants, those house plants where you just can't seem to kill them no matter how much you abuse them. It's like you could put it in a room and forget to open the blinds for a month. And you go in there and you open the blinds and turn on the light and it's still alive. Somehow, just by the little bit of light that ekes through, it survives. Of course, you also forgot to water it for a few months, and sure enough, it fell over and wilted. But as soon as you pour the water on it, it just, like, resurrects somehow. You can yank it up by its roots and drop it in a bucket of water, and it'll just grow in the water just as well as it was growing in the dirt. So I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. You killed an unkillable plant. I have no advice. <clears throat> it would be nice if our spiritual lives grew just as easily as those indestructible plants we come across. But we know that, as Pastor Tim reminded us, spiritual growth isn't quite so automatic, but it actually requires some nurturing and some care, some hard work, and some discipline to allow God to work in our lives and grow us spiritually speaking, and we've considered some of the ways that God does that in our lives, and this morning, <clears throat> we're going to consider another way that God grows us spiritually, and that particular way is that we grow spiritually as we stay close to each other, as we stay not just, you know, proximity-wise close in a local body of believers, but also, you know, more importantly, um, in our hearts, as we stay in intimate, uh, loving, 
connection with one another, according to the Bible, that's actually a really critical element of our ultimate spiritual growth and development. And I think the reason for that is pretty obvious. Uh, Not only does it help us grow in our belief that we really are one, one family, one body, but it's also not easy to um, stay close to each other. We have a hard enough time staying close to our natural families at home who we grew up with and we have a lot in common with, culturally speaking. Then you throw us into a spiritual family with people from all types of backgrounds and families. And if you're going to love those people well, if you're going to stay intimately connected, not just next to them, but in your heart, it's probably going to require you to practice some of the essential elements of Christianity, namely patience, gentleness, humility. And as we practice those things on a daily basis with our spiritual family and they with us, not surprisingly, it's part of the way we get better at it. It's part of the way we get better at being, living out the oneness that God has given us, which includes living out patience and gentleness and humility. So we'll start by looking at a passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And um, when you get there, we'll just start reading in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, and they'll put it on the screen too. And as we start reading in the first verse here, listen to how um, staying close to each other is part of the way we grow. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to you all, to belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's no mistake he's saying that we're one here. Just as God is one, his church on earth is one. And so he urges us to maintain that spirit of oneness, that bond of peace. And he tells us what it's going to take, patience, gentleness, humility. And eventually he goes on to, uh, there's a crescendo where he says that all of this results in our growth. We'll get there soon. But it's important to know that in the first three chapters, of this letter, he reminds us of our calling as saints. And in 36 powerful statements in the first three chapters, he tells us who we are in Christ through faith. He tells us, for example, that we're predestined to adoption, that we are uh, made holy in Christ, that we are inheritors, that we have an inheritance in Christ. And on and on he goes with this beautiful explanation of our calling as saints. And then he starts chapter 4 
and he switches gears from telling us, describing who we are in Christ, to now he begins telling us how to live like the people we are in Christ, how to walk in a manner worthy or fitting for our new identity that we've been given by grace through God. And um, not surprisingly, as we walk in that way, we get better at it. We grow at it, which we'll see in a little while. And one of the first elements he says to that growth is maintain that spirit of peace. Be close to each other. Have a spiritual family that you belong to and that you strive to be close with, which already you know, he knows that that's going to have some, that that's not going to be easy because he tells you right up front what it's going to take. Patience, gentleness, humility. In other words, you're going to try to be a part of this spiritual family and you're going to bump into people who, if you're going to stay there, close to them, only one way to genuinely stay close to that person. It's by practicing patience. It's by going home and reflecting and saying, how could I have been more humble? And it's by eventually growing in gentleness. And as you do those things, you can genuinely maintain that unity that God says we have. You can grow better and better at being close to your spiritual family, <clears throat> which is, I think, <clears throat> a great reminder for us. Because it's very easy when the opportunity to maintain that bond of peace, to grow in gentleness or patience or humility comes up, to just pass on the offer, to just say, ooh, I tried, I came, I saw, and you annoyed me. Later. <laughs> I came, I was a part of it, it was okay for a while, <sighs> but I don't have patience for this. I'm out of here. It's an easy sort of consumer way to approach our spiritual families in whatever context that looks like. And yet, when we read the Bible, we find a very different depiction of the relationship that individuals would have with their spiritual families. What we find is that as bad as the situations were in many of the churches in the New Testament, as much conflict, as much doctrinal error there was, the apostles never once write and say, you know what, I think it's time for you guys to just go find different churches. This is, this is too much. No. Every single time they say in so many words, stay, stick it out, and grow up together. When you do have an a issue where you feel like it's more than just patience that's needed, maybe somebody's wronged you, and just being humble and gentle and kind isn't enough because something is wrong, it tells us what to do there, too. Because we're a family, you go to your brother or sister, he says in Matthew 18, and you, there's an outlined way to deal with it. Now, eventually, we all know, practically speaking, there is a time to separate yourself from someone, right? Even in family. But because it's family, 
we also know when we study those passages that even then, even when the situation is so bad that you separate someone from the family of God, it's ultimately so that they'll come back. It's ultimately redemptive. It's ultimately out of the hope that they will realize that they need to correct something so they can return. And yet we, on the other hand, hardly ever, what's that word uses here that's so fitting? We hardly ever bear with one another in love, persevere, continue when it's hard to live out the close-knit togetherness that God says we have in Christ. Instead, we just say, let's see where I can poke my nose in or I won't be too annoyed. Your group's kind of doing something I like for now. I'll check it out. Oh, this church is starting to bore me. I, I don't agree with what I'm out. Very different picture that we find here. When I first came to this church, one of the pastors, he flattered me mightily. He said, um, you know, I can tell that you really seem to want to learn and grow. Boy, that that struck my ego. He said, how would you like to come and be a part of a small discipleship group with me and a few other guys? And I'm not kidding. I was like, I would be honored. You know, I was so flattered that this pastor wanted to disciple me, you know. What I didn't know is that when I showed up at this group with the two other young men uh, who were going to be a part of the group, that the three of us who were there to be mentored for two hours a week by this pastor, the three of us would have three different majors in school, three different hobbies, and most importantly, three different political views. In other words... From about the moment we showed up, we started butting heads with each other. Eventually, it got so bad that on multiple occasions, the pastor, we just have to stop the study. We just have to say, okay, we, we can't continue right now. Let's just take a break, and let's just talk about what's going on, because it's obvious that there's something going on here. And we'd all just kind of be sitting back in our chairs and then slowly he kind of work it out of us. You know, well, uh, when he said this, I didn't appreciate it very much, you know. And then back and we kind of talk. And then we'd get enough out in the open that we could continue the study. After the first year of doing this, two hours a week, for some reason, we signed up for the second year. <laughs> and after the second year, for some reason, we signed up for the third and last year of it. And you know, as we continue to meet together year after year for hours a week to study and to practice patience and gentleness, if not only because the pastor was there to help us, perhaps, something did change between us. We didn't become best old pals with the same politics and hobbies and studies, but we did, we did start to respect and love each other for showing up week after week and working through the issues for the goal of continuing the study in the group. And in fact, the relationship between us got to such a point that at least by the time it was over, I started telling people, you know, it's weird. They're not my friends. And by that, I just meant they're not like my main pals. You know, I got my group of friends. But you know, if I was ever in trouble, 
I wouldn't call my friends. If I was ever, like, my car was broken down or something, flat tire, I'd call one of those guys. As I tried to make sense of this kind of bond that we had, I realized that, you know, they'd been there for me when they liked me and when they didn't like me. And we stayed committed and showed up. And the best way I could explain it, I said, it's kind of like they're not my friends, but they're my family. And you know what? In the years following that group, my car did break down a few times. I did run into a few difficulties. And it had been years, and I still didn't call my friends. I called my family. And they came, and they helped me, and we caught up. And I think that that is one example of what can happen when we take what the Bible says seriously, when it says you're one family, just as God is one. So stay close. If that means practicing your patience, practicing your gentleness, growing in humility, and if it gets bad enough, Matthew 18, going and having the hard conversation that you'd rather avoid, do it. Because you're a family. You're one. And as we'll see in a little while, as you learn to love people who are hard for you to love, and as you practice patience towards them, not only do you grow in your patience, in your gentleness, in your humility, but they grow too as you learn to treat them with patience and gentleness and humility. But it's not just this element of learning to walk more like Christ in these universal ways, Christ-like behavior, gentleness, humility, all that, but it's also the unique gifts that God gives each of us that helps us to grow spiritually when we stay close to each other. I'm sure you've been told or read about the spiritual gifts in the Bible, this idea that when you become a Christian, every one of us receives at least one grace gift from God, one, one, one ability that God gives us to serve and love others in the body of Christ in a unique way. Maybe you've, you know, scanned through those lists of spiritual gifts and you've seen things like mercy. Um, you know, that the ability to notice, that is, when, when someone in your church family is hurting and to connect with them emotionally and to see that they get cared for above and beyond. Or maybe you've, you know, flipped through those lists and you've seen one like... Um, uh, teaching, you know, the ability to show up to your life group when you're studying the Bible. And even though you've all read the passage and done the homework, as you share what God taught you through that reading, for some reason, the Holy Spirit seems to use your words to clarify what people didn't understand fully. And it just hits them harder when they hear you say it for some reason. Or maybe you've uh, noticed that there's one called giving. 
that ability to see needs and to give carefully in a way that encourages and builds up the body of Christ. So we're familiar with them, we've heard about them, but oftentimes we think they're kind of like this addendum to the Christian walk. Right? The really important stuff is just following Jesus and learning to be more kind and gentle, praying a lot, reading the Bible, and oh yeah, you know, there's this cool addendum where you get spiritual gifts too. Those are kind of cool. But the reality is, when you read the Bible, that when it comes to our spiritual growth, time and time again what we see when it describes spiritual growth is spiritual gifts are at the heart of it. Let's keep reading. And we'll pick up in verse 7 of this passage. And as we start reading, listen to how another way we grow is by using our spiritual gifts with each other. He says this in verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower region, regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that might fill all things, that he might fill all things. So we'll pause right there. So he says uh, grace was given to each one of us. This grace he's describing that's given to each one of us is the grace gifts, the spiritual gifts described in the Bible. It gets clearer as you read. He says that uh, it was given according to the measure of Christ, which we know we don't all get the same gifts. He gives each as he sees fit. And then he goes on to quote a psalm where he says, um, you know, he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave, here it is, gifts to men. And so as he's building up to describing what happens or how we ultimately grow in our walk with Christ, grow spiritually, he switches from our oneness in Christ that we need to persevere in to suddenly he describes our uniqueness. But each of you in this one body, y'all got different gifts. According to Christ's gift, he gave these gifts out. And they're not all the same. You might have the gift of mercy or the gift of teaching or you might have both of them or the gift of uh, giving. And while we sort of think they're kind of cool, but not at the heart, not super important, I think if we reflect on them, we start to see why we find spiritual gifts at the heart of so many passages like this about spiritual growth. Because, again, we don't all have the same one, but we all need them all. And when we come together with our different gifts, we're complete. Picture one night when you're thinking you might just skip life group, might not come to Bible study that particular evening because something else came up, right? Part of the reason perhaps you don't go, we don't go, because we don't think we're that important to be there. But perhaps you 
have the gift of mercy. Part of the reason you don't think you're important to be there doesn't sound super impressive. So you don't show up that night. But perhaps if you did, God was ready to use you in the life of someone else who shows up on this imaginary night who could really use some mercy. Someone who is going through a rough couple of weeks. And because you're not there, they show up, they smile, they answer, they discuss, and no one notices that something's wrong. Because no one has that gift of mercy, of seeing what others don't see in the eyes of the hurting. And maybe if you, if you had gone that night, you could have easily just said, hey, how are you doing? And if it wasn't in your eyes and with your gift that you disarmed them right away, and they lie and they say, oh, everything's great, thanks, how are you? Maybe because you have the gift of mercy, you gently push a little more. And sure enough, they tell you how hard it's been. They tell you that their mother's been sick. And now they're caring for mother, doing all the chores she used to do, and still trying to pass their biology courses for pre-med. And it's been a rough couple of weeks. And perhaps with that gift of mercy, you then go and you encourage the life group people, hey, this week, send a card to her. And maybe even send a few bucks so she can buy some food for them and not have to work so hard. Maybe bring her a little relief this week. And perhaps someone in that group that evening who did show up in this imaginary tale has the gift of giving. And while three or four people in that group do send some money and do write a nice card, this person with the gift of giving is like, this is my time to shine. I want to bless this person. I didn't know they were hurting right now. And I love them. So she's so, you know, loved when she opens the cards and she's got prayers and she's got $10 in this one and $5 in this one. And then she opens one from the person with the gift of giving. And with today's prices and with Uber Eats prices, maybe it's just enough to actually pay for food for a couple of days <sighs> so she can catch her breath and so she can experience God's love, not just reading about it on a page, but in a tangible, real way that helps her grow not just closer to the people in her group, but closer to the God who fills the people in her group. And you know what? Maybe this whole thing happened because that night you have the gift of teaching. We're imagining a third person here who also shows up that night and who just so happens to share from that passage of Scripture how important it is to remember our gifts and to use them, which kicks the whole thing off. You see, the Bible is convinced that if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to understand who God is 
and how to live for him and get better and better at it, that spiritual gifts are a crucial part of it. And so, this morning, the reminder is, remember that you have spiritual gifts. And remember to use them. To not just be close to your spiritual family. Be intimate. Be determined to bear with them in love. But while you're there, say, God, how can you use me to use what you've given me? to bless, to teach, to show mercy, to give, to do whatever I can so while they all do the same so that together we grow. Now, all of this would be, of course, impossible if God hadn't also gifted some people to help us to know how this all works, to remind us that we have these gifts and to put us in areas where we can use these gifts. Of course, what I'm hinting at is our pastors like Pastor Tim, who facilitate opportunities for us to use our our gifts, who invite us when they meet us out on the patio to be part of a life group where there's oneness and where there's growth, or invite us when they get to know us to be part of a short-term missions trip or maybe to serve on the worship team. What often happens is, well, before we get there, why don't we look at the passage? What we're going to see is that another way that we grow spiritually is when we're equipped or put in place in the right place to grow by our pastors. Let's look at the next, the last part here. We'll start in uh, verse 11. And in verse 11, let's see. Let's start reading and see, see how it says this. It says this, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers <clears throat> to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's lots of growth going on in this passage. But he starts the whole thought off by describing these few who God has gifted to, quote, equip the rest of us for the work of ministry. One of those is the pastor teachers. Did you notice that? Now, if you're, many of us think there might be a typo in our Bibles because it says that these pastors are supposed to equip us to do the work of ministry, which ultimately results in this incredible growth when we all do our part and use our gifts. But isn't it supposed to say 
that he put these experts in place to do the work of ministry? My point is that's often how we kind of think of it. We sort of approach our local church like we approach everything else, kind of with this consumer attitude where I'm not here to do the, the work of ministry. That's for the professionals. Oh, for those pastors to do. I'll just come in and dip my toe in, and then I'll leave. And I'll leave the work of ministry to the paid professionals. And yet, what we find here in this passage and time and time again is that far from being called to do the work of ministry, although they play their part, one of the primary roles of pastors, teachers, is to equip the rest of us to do the work of ministry. In other words, to remind us that we have a part to play and to then help us find the part in the body to play so that everyone's playing their part so that together we can grow until we're complete. That's what he says here, which is kind of a different way of thinking about ministry. There's a, I recently saw this movie called V for Vendetta. This is my first time seeing it, but it's an old movie, so please let me ruin it for you. Just kidding, I won't ruin it that much. Actually, yeah, I'll ruin it. So, <clears throat> in the movie, the uh, you know, star female actress is walking late at night, and you know, she's sort of innocent and scared and inexperienced and, of course, beautiful. And that's when some corrupt officials capture her. And they say, hey, what are you doing late at night? And they start bullying her. And then they make it clear that they're going to abuse her that night. And she's, like, filled with terror. And you're like, oh, no, how could this happen in a PG-13? Or it's probably R, actually. But then, <laughs> of course, that's when V shows up. You know, the hero, superhero type guy. And he shows up right in time as they're getting ready to abuse this woman. And he beats them all up. And I think he even kills them. And then as soon as he's flung the last guy off of her, you know, she, uh, she looks up and she's just so grateful, you know. And she says something like, oh, how can I repay you? Thank you so much. And uh, the reason it stuck with me is he just kind of writes it off real quick. He's like, oh, no, no. I'll just play my little part. You know, what's your name? She tells him her name, and their names are related. So he says, huh, I don't believe in coincidences. Now, that little quick statement of his where he, oh, no, 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 I was just playing my little part. It stands out because it seems ridiculous in the moment. Like, oh, yeah, playing your little part. Like, you just killed the six guys who were about to ruin her entire life, if not kill her. That's a big part. But as the, movie, as the movie goes on and finally reaches its conclusion, you realize that there was a lot of truth to both those statements that he made. And what I mean is that by the end of the movie, she's spent some time with V and learned from him and overcome some of her fears and, and, and stuff. And at the end of the movie, when it comes to, you know, saving the world, so to speak, it's not V who saves the world. But it's this young, slightly less scared woman who plays a little tiny part to save humanity. 
if you will. The point I'm trying to make is when it comes to these superhero Christians that we all know in our lives, you know, pastors like Pastor Tim or Pastor Mark, or maybe you even think of your life group leader, seems like they're the experts who do ministry, and I just come and kind of watch now and then. If you ever compliment them, say, wow, you know, your ministry is so great, and they kind of shrug it off like that too, oh, no, 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 I'm just playing my little part. But when they say that, there's actually a lot of profound truth to it. They're actually there to help you and me do our little parts too, so that together we can grow. Have you experienced that? Have you had a pastor in the church in some capacity get to know you a little bit and then invite you or challenge you to serve in some way in the church? And it led to growth and development in you, and you were able to bless others and become more and more a part of the life of the body of the church so that we could be growing. When I uh, was years, years younger, I would sometimes nervously join Pastor Mark Hopper or Pastor Emeritus when he would go visit new people who had visited our church. It was terrifying. Someone would come and on a Sunday, you know, watch, leave. But if we got their information, we would meet together and we would drive to their houses to deliver cookies. Just to say, hey, welcome to coming in the church. Or, you know, thanks for visiting. Every once in a while, they would, uh, they'd invite us in, you know, and we'd chat for a little while. And Pastor Mark's great at that and leave the cookies. Well, I did that with them from time to time. It was always kind of nerve-wracking. But one night, Pastor Mark couldn't make it. And so he sent a message to the group, and he said, I can't make it. Meet at the same time. Luke's leading. And I was like, what? I'm leading? I was terrified. I, I didn't have any confidence in the Lord for that. I, I was not ready. I didn't want to. But what was I going to do? I was the boss. So sure enough, we went out that night. And scared and everything, incapable of small talk, I sat there in people's living rooms. And I gave them cookies. And one of the people whose living rooms I sat in came to know the Lord, came to be involved in the church, grew before our eyes in incredible ways. Now I often don't see him on Sundays because he's a part-time missionary with a heart to share the gospel with the world. Maybe at some point your life group leader might get to know you, and at some point they might say, hey, how about you facilitate this week the discussion? And you might feel scared, and you might not want to do it. Or maybe someone says, you know, you could really bless the church with your gift of music. Have you ever thought about serving on the worship team? Whatever it is, where a pastor, someone like Tim, or maybe even your life group leader, spends enough time with you to get to know you, to invite you to serve in some way in the church, don't just write it off. Don't just think, oh, no, no, that's not for me. I'm not on the committee to plan the women's events. I just go to the women's events. 
But think twice about it. Because this passage says it's all of us who play our small part when we're put in place. That's the same word when it says um, equip us. That's the same word for putting a bone, setting a bone. It's those leaders who are there to set us in place and teach us what we need to know so we can play our part and grow as one body of Christ. This happened to me in a, in a powerful way one day when, when uh, you know, I showed up at a, at a Bible study with a group of men, and uh, some other men showed up that night too, even though maybe they didn't feel like it. And one man in this group years ago, who I would say confidently has the gift of teaching, off topic on a subject we weren't even covering in the Bible study, shared a, a brief lesson that came up about grief when, it, when we covered a passage on it. And he just said, he shared, he said, years ago, my wife and I lost our two-year-old child. And he said, we intentionally, intentionally decided that we were going to walk through the grief together. That we weren't going to, that we were basically going to take time off, make space, and make sure that we didn't try to avoid the sorrow, but to deal with it. He said, um, it was brutal. He said, we would wake up, my wife and I, in the middle of the night and just weep. And we'd get our tears out and we'd fall back asleep. As he said this, he had, you know, teary eyes, as you can imagine. And he said, to this day, when I think about her or someone asks me about her, he says, I can get, you know, I can get emotional about it. He says, but you know, it wouldn't, he says, the issues I would have to this day would be so much worse if God didn't help us to make space and time to grieve when it happened. Now, he probably, I don't know if he thought anything of that brief little story that he shared as we covered that quick passage about grief. But you know, one of the reasons for a decade since that I think I've grieved a little better than I would have. One of the reasons why from time to time when something painful comes up, I don't just stuff it down and keep going, it's because of that story. I'll sit down sometimes and I'll just let the tears flow. And then I'll get back up and I'll keep going. And I think that's a little glimpse of how God uses each of us with our own gifts and our own stories and our own parts to play. When we dare to show up, to be one, to play our part, and to learn and grow as the body of Christ. Will you pray with me? Dear God, um, we do thank you for your word, Lord. It is the only reason, Lord, that life is so, so worth living, no matter the season that we're in. You bring meaning and purpose to our lives, God. And so we thank you for each person you've put in our lives to help us understand your word, Lord, the person who shows us what mercy means by being merciful to us, the one who tells us what you mean by explaining it to us, God, and the one 
who gives us the opportunity to serve them as well. And so, God, I just do pray that you would bless us uh, this week, protect us, and remind us to take those steps, Lord, of engagement, of growth, and above all, Lord, just to stay close to you and remember that you're there with us. So we pray that you'd be glorified as we stand right now and sing and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.